Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Chris Ward, who is the founder of EntryPoint Wealth Management. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Gary. How are you doing today? Doing great. So, Chris, tell, tell us some about yourself and, and how you got into the, the finance industry. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on the podcast. I've listened to a few episodes. You've got some great content, so I'm happy to provide some of my background and information. Uh, first, you know, I grew up in the tax business. Uh, so I learned that at an early age, um, 10, 11, 12 years old, kind of the grunt labor, uh, all the way through double checking and then eventually preparing tax returns after college. Did one full tax season and I realized that was enough for me. So in 05, I joined Fidelity right after tax season ended. Uh, it was actually April 18th. It was like the next day I kind of left, left the family and I spread my wings and went into the financial industry for good. And uh, bring it all the way forward. You know, I just started my own investment advisory firm over the course of the last uh, 12 months. And, um, you know, I really enjoy working with uh, individual clients, uh, families here in Cincinnati, helping them to achieve their goals. Oh, God. So what what about, um, you know, the, the finance and, and financial planning did, is what really gets you excited. I mean, obviously you were doing taxes and stuff like that with the family and yes, taxes aren't the most exciting thing, but what kind of really got you into the, you know, the financial planning side of things? Yeah. So for me, what drew my interest was really helping clients understand their tax situation and then make the right strategic investment to build wealth. Uh, so a lot of times, uh, you'll have clients that have a CPA or they might just have a tax preparer. Um, mm -hmm. and they're not getting the counsel that they need to pinpoint how they can achieve their long-term goals through the investments that they make. So uh, there are times, you know, obviously we'll recommend various retirement plans uh, for the tax advantages. Uh, maybe it's an HSA for a client to benefit from uh, the tax advantages there through their company. But at the same time, I've, I've recommended real estate, um, you know, ventures that are going to provide clients growth and interest, but also potentially tax deductions as they invest. Right. 
So, I mean, obviously, you know, having the tax background has helped you with, with, you know, people and advising them what to, what to invest in. Um, what are some of the questions that, that your clients uh, or potential clients um, aren't asking that you really wish that they would? Yeah, so I would say the, the number one question that clients aren't asking um, is really to take a step back and understand that, you know, every individual that we engage with, you know, has their own set of uh, incentives that they act around. And when you think about the financial industry, you know, most of the time, the incentive structure and what is motivating other financial representatives to provide advice is basically centered around selling products. And there's this lack of comprehensive engagement to truly understand, A, what does the client value and what are they trying to achieve? And then building a financial plan before we jump into products. And too often I've found over the years, clients will own an investment, um, they'll own an insurance product, and they'll just be confused as to, to why they own that product or why it's incorporated into their net worth structure without really understanding if it supports the objectives they're trying to achieve. I'm sure you've heard stories, Gary. Oh, yeah. Too many times uh, clients are sold products that they don't need, um, and it's, it's unfortunate, but it definitely happens. So as advisors, we have to pick up the ball and help them make the next best decision to kind of reformulate how they achieve going forward. Right. So, you know, going through that, what, what are, um, you know, besides kind of blindly go, going through some of this stuff, what are some of the other mistakes that you're seeing, um, you know, your, your potential clients before they come to you that they're making? Yeah. So I would say this, this, the other component, and this is what clients do to themselves. So in my previous role at a large brokerage firm, <clears throat> I dealt with a lot of self-directed investors. And when you're making your own investment decisions, too many times I've seen clients, you know, chase returns and even change strategy in the middle of the economic cycle. Um, you know, so clients would often try to find the next hot investment. Right. Let's think of like, oh, I want to go out and I want to buy Bitcoin. Right. That would be a hot topic for a do-it-yourself investor today. And the issue becomes once you own, you know, Bitcoin and let's say you bought it last summer and now you pull up the price of Bitcoin and it's at 30000 and you bought it at 50000 Well, what are you going to do? Like you, you can't just sell it then and, and move on to something else, but you've got this investment that went completely wrong because you didn't really have the sophistication or the tools to manage the investment that you made. Um, and so I find that's probably the number one thing that clients overestimate is their ability to invest their own portfolios because you end up putting yourself in a bad position and not knowing how to unwind it. Yeah, I, I'm definitely not saying that there aren't people out there that can actually do this, um, but I do find lots of times that, that people are, are trying to um, take take and, and hit that home run. They're, they're looking for the next Apple or whoever. Um, and instead of, you know, taking and, and doing, doing what they do well to earn the money that they're making, they're trying to kind of do this elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, a lot of advisors talk through, like, you know, you need to know your risk tolerance and you need to do this and that. And that's part of it. But 
what it comes down to is it's like anything. If it takes 10,000 hours, according to Malcolm Gladwell, to, to be proficient and be an expert in a given area, well, that 10,000 hours of investment strategy and analysis, what that does is it allows you to formulate a set of rules from which you can make informed decisions, right? You can formulate rules in which you will buy a given investment. You'll formulate rules in which you can sell a given investment. And so the idea is you have the confidence. Once you have that system in place, you have the confidence to make the right decision. But until you spend that time and have rules that you can implement consistently over time, then you're just driven by emotion. And emotion forces us yeah. to do the wrong aspects. Emotion, emotions force us to sell the market today when it's down 10% in the month of January. You know, it makes us buy when the market's at a high, in, you know, in the fall of last year. And, and just different things that we, we know aren't in our best interest, but we, we allow them to rule how we make decisions anyway. Right. And, and, and I, I joke lots of times with, with people and, and tell them that professionals like you and me, we're really there to, to talk our clients off the cliff um, and, and try to really take the emotion out of things because, you know, as we all know, a lot of bad decisions are made when emotions are involved. <laughs> Completely. And, and the sad part about it, Gary, is when I talk to clients and uh, we spend time on the front end to truly get to know each other, to truly establish what their values are, what their goals are, what sort of legacy do you want to create for your family? What information do you want to pass on to your kids about money? And you've accumulated all these assets. Nobody sits there and tells me, well, I want to spend 30 hours a week investing my portfolio. And then when the market's going down, I want to send 60 hours a week truly stressing over if I will have enough money to live on or not. And for the clients that I work with, they're going to be fine, but it's truly about crafting a plan to where you have somebody on your side that's going to execute for you in the good times and also the bad times to put you in the best situation you can be. Yeah. I mean, many times I try to try to tell my clients when we put together tax plans and things for them, it's like, you know, yes, it's like, you know, we, we, we kind of have now we have our, our, you know, three-year plan, if you want to call it that, hey, this is where we're going to go. Yes, depending on what happens with tax law changes or things change in your life. Yeah, we may have to take detours. But again, we kind of already have that, that plan mapped out. So we don't have to make knee-jerk reactions to things. Exactly. And when a client gives you a set of circumstances of what they want to achieve, what I, the kind of work that I like to do is to be able to lay out different techniques to achieve that objective, right? So let's take, for example, if we're building a plan for charitable giving, right? Too many times we see, I see estate plans that include charitable giving after a client might pass away. Mm -hmm. Right. We want to pull those into the forefront. We want to do stuff like even use the investment portfolio to fund the charitable giving, have a charitable giving strategy. And those are strategies that are available on, you know, just general investments that you'll make in a brokerage account um, or other pieces of property. In addition to, you know, doing qualified charitable distributions from your IRA later in life. So you have these different pieces. Um, and different solutions that you pull off the shelf to achieve multiple mixes of what a client's goal might be, right? Lower taxes, charitable giving, efficient investing, high, you know, 
processes. And so that's where, as a wealth manager, you're able to provide a significant amount of value to the clients you're working with because you're helping them achieve so many different goals in different areas. You've been doing this for a while now. So what is it that you wish you knew back then that you know now? So the biggest thing, so I mentioned the idea of the environment in which you do your work. Um, it can be a benefit or it can be, or it can kind of dampen the impact you can have for a client. Um, and so over the course of the last year, I've been able to establish a solo practice, you know, practice. So I'm the only advisor at my firm and, you know, chief compliance officer, you name it, <clears throat> but it's allowed me to build solutions to complex questions my clients have, right? So um, I'm lucky to be, have been around a lot of successful people. And, you know, a lot of the people that I work with today, their number one objective is retain their wealth and avoid paying as much tax as possible, mm -hmm. right? We know the market's gonna give us whatever the market is gonna give us, but if we can reduce the taxation component, it really makes a big difference in the long run. And so I've been able to add some strategies that I really didn't have access to in my previous role at my previous firm. Um, so, you know, right now I've got a couple clients that are in the middle of selling um, a piece of property. It's a, it's farmland. And we're looking at doing 1031 exchanges. Mm -hmm. And most of the time you do a 1031 exchange, it's, it's, it's farmland or it's active ownership, staying in active ownership but there's a security out there. It's called a Delaware statutory trust that allows you to take that active ownership and put it into an investment security and move into passive ownership. So I typically help clients retire, I help clients kind of downsize um, their life, simplify things and create a paycheck, right? So we're looking for income opportunities. And so that sort of strategy fits really well if you've managed rental properties your entire life, or if you've own farmland for many, many years, um, and you want to basically sell that piece of property, reinvest in a security that's going to pay you interest, uh, and then also you're not going to have to go out and pay taxes on the capital gains. Um, and the way that the tax rules are written today, you know, it allows clients to avoid paying, you know, in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax and be able to transition from being an active landlord or property owner and move into retirement and have a passively managed investment uh, that's gonna then pay them a dividend interest, you know, a dividend or an interest payment. And at the same time, it's gonna have tax benefits that are gonna flow through to their tax return as well. Um, so it's, that's an advantage that I was able to achieve uh, to be able to implement a solution like that, that I really never had access to in my previous life. Um, and so I find that to be, you know, part of the most exciting parts of my job today is client brings you a really complex situation and you're able to take the time engage with experts and then turn around and have a phenomenal solution on the other side that can be implemented and and help them you know better their situation right right totally agree and i think that that's where you know making sure that you have the experts in your corners it's what really helps and i mean obviously you having prior tax knowledge you know, it helps you ask the right questions um, and really look at things, that's for sure. So, um, and going through, you know, obviously you you made this transition to, to be on your own, uh, you know, during COVID, 
which a lot of people would probably would have probably said that you were crazy for trying to do that. What are some of the challenges that you have faced in making that transition from, you know, working for a company and kind of I'm going to say being secure to, you know, now you're 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 living on your own basically. So kind of what what are some of the challenges that you faced with that? Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse, right? It's, uh, I mean, I'm still facing challenges today. You know, I got a, I'm, we're on month 16 of a maximum 18 months of COBRA health insurance, right? For the family. So that's still a pickle that we got to figure out here in the next, I guess, eight weeks. <laughs> right. got, the window is closing. You know, it's, uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, they sent us home in March. And I think it was, it was, it was by June 1st, I had told my wife I wasn't going back to the office. It was, it was just time for me to find a, a new way to be able to apply my craft is, is kind of what I told her. And, you know, I had had conversations with different firms and different things that were out there. But, you know, once I made that decision, you know, it was easy. Once, once they invited us back to the office, I knew I wasn't going to return. So the resignation process started. And I would say, you know, uh it, it's really tricky i ended up not joining a firm you know and and kind of decided to go the lone wolf route if you will and i've been blessed um to have some really good learning opportunities in uh, the trade associations that i'm a part of you know, national association of personal financial advisors uh, i'm also a member of the xy planning network and uh you know, there are far more blessings that I can count versus the challenges that I've had to overcome. I would say that I've had to learn a lot more about the business side and the regulatory side of what we do. Um, you know, multiple conversations with the folks at the Kentucky Division of Securities and just general compliance aspects of the work that we do, because we are highly regulated. Um, and and you know, you have to run your business the right way, right? Unfortunately, there are folks out there like Bernie Madoff and others that have kind of given this industry a black mark. Um, but when you're a state registered investment advisor, you know, you've got a government entity that's not too far away that's going to be knocking on your door. And so I registered in February after five or six letters from the state of Kentucky. And then I actually was audited already. So I was audited in October of uh, 21 as well. So I think that's been the number one challenge, right, is the idea that the compliance aspect and the regulatory aspect of what you have to keep track of is uh, a little bit more than I expected. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things I know years ago when I decided to jump out on my own, it was kind of, you know, it, it was definitely one of those things, you know, you're taking that step and uh, you know, I, I looked at it the same way. It was like, I got to the point where I was tired of making somebody else a lot of money and decided it's like, okay, I can, I can do a better job if I'm doing this based on, you know, what my rules are and how I feel that a client should be, you know, handled and not uh, nickel and dime for everything, um, you know, when they have questions and stuff. So um, it was definitely, um, you know, a big step to take in, uh, you know, in getting through it, but it's definitely something now after 22 years, I, you know, so happy that I did it. 
So 22 years in, I tell you, my kids are, uh, I still have teenagers. So I've got a 15, 12 and 11. Uh, this past, you know, this past summer, we took a month off and we went on a road trip, like all the way to California from Kentucky by way of North Dakota. And we came back through Southern Utah. You know, there's so much to see in America. We get so little time with our kids. And so, you know, when I walked away from my previous role, I was probably working 60 hours a week, you know, obviously managing a large practice. And it, it just really kind of reset for me what my focus ought to be. And it's just being able to spend time with your family and um, being able to, to provide value to clients in a way that allows you to achieve both objectives. Right? right. And so I tell my clients, you know, hey, you should expect that we should have, you know, reasonable conversations every quarter. Right. I'll be in touch every quarter. And every May, I'm going to meet with every client in my practice because probably in June or July, I'm going to be gone for a month. I'm going to take a month off. And, and it's allowed me to kind of structure my life in a way to where now if I need to pick the kids up at 2.30, I can work 7 to 2. And right. I can get all that I need to get done in those hours and then be able to have family time as well. So it's, it's really been a blessing from that perspective. Right, right. Yeah, because I mean, because at this point, you've been able to, to craft the business the way you want and, you know, take on the number of clients that you want. So exactly. It makes a difference. You know, and <clears throat> I got to, it's one of those things where you can actually provide more value, right? If you're willing to have that Jerry Maguire moment, and let me reset the relationship structure to where we're going to have a quarterly conversation. Uh, we'll get together in person, you know, twice a year, if that works for your, for your schedule and your objectives. Yeah. So the first thing I really designed was to establish a client meeting, uh, like, a, like a calendar of service, right? And I wanted to meet with clients quarterly. Too often we hear this idea, you should meet with your investment guy once a year. And when I was at Schwab, if we met once a year, excuse me, if when I was in my previous role, if we met once a year, clients were lucky. Right. And I wanted to make sure that I was providing a consistent engagement with the clients that chose to work with me in this format, outline annual meeting objectives to where we'd have agendas for your second quarter meeting. And when we review your retirement plan in the third quarter, we'd have an agenda for that. And then when we do our year-end planning in November, we'd have an agenda for that. And we know that agenda starting in January because we're able to plan this all out so that any topic a client wants to dive into, we're able to set a time frame where this is gonna be a conversation for us. Right. Um, so right now I'm talking to clients a lot about estate planning, a lot about their uh, maybe property and casualty insurance, uh, maybe if they have aspirations for college savings, we're doing some of that conversation in the first quarter because we already know the topics that we're going to discuss in the second, third, and fourth quarter of the year. So it provides that opportunity to make sure that everything a client needs to discuss, we have ample time devoted to those conversations. Yeah, I think I think the idea of having a, I'm going to say a, an agenda um, for each one of your meetings is important because then that also allows the clients to put out there for this agenda, hey, these are some things I would like to cover and questions I have. Um, and I, I think it's it, it helps you make sure you get through everything and the client doesn't feel that you've you know, rushed through a meeting and then they didn't ask the questions that they really wanted to ask. So if you get that ahead of time, it, it always makes it much easier, I think. 
completely. And, and the great thing is these agendas are actually in our financial planning software. Mm-hmm. So clients can pull them up, they can look at them, they get email notifications, you know, it's two weeks out <clears throat> and we need to schedule a meeting and here's the agenda that it's going to you know, entail. Um, right. So I've found it to be a good opportunity to where clients can even raise their hand and say, we need to add this to the agenda and, and you're enabling them because we're all here to serve, right? So right. We, we need to know what is their most important topic at any point and that's going to change. Um, and so putting putting, you know, or giving them the ability to make sure that that is known, I found to be something that's very empowering for the clients I work with as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, you know, so what, what this year, kind of what is your, what's your goal for 2022? Yeah, um, so my, my, I have, uh, I have a number of goals, obviously, uh, a couple, you know, <clears throat> as far as on the business goals, uh, <clears throat> one of my main objectives is I'm hiring a virtual assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've chosen to kind of set myself up as a solo, but you know, y- you need help in various aspects of what you're trying to do. I'm not the best guy when it comes to operating a website and design and, and some of those aspects of what needs to be done. And you know, I've already got compliance assistance kind of built into um, the XY relationship and, and other pieces. Um, so bringing on some help to make the business more efficient is really important to me. Uh, from a from a growth perspective, the interesting thing is, you know, once you get the machine built, you know, you don't have to necessarily grow, right? You can take clients as you see necessary and as you see fit. Uh, in my previous role, you know, it wasn't uncommon. The manager would walk in in October and November and say, "All right, Chris, over the course of the next calendar year." We need you to bring in 75 or $100 million. And you'd sit there and say, well, how am I supposed to do that? Um, if I just grow my firm by three or four clients, revenue is going to take care of itself and right. uh, everything's going to fall in line. So it's a much different environment that I'm in today. There's so much less stress um, than working at some of these major financial institutions that are really just trying to squeeze as much as they can out of you um, right. with expectations and objectives. So, you know, obviously I set a goal of maybe three or four clients or a revenue number. And as luck would have it, Gary, I get a phone call the last week of the year and I've got this uh, large real estate case that I indicated and I've got another couple clients and you know, you're going to achieve what you expected to do over the course of the entire year. And, you know, in the, first two months right um so it's it's very i recognize that you know you do things the right way you treat people the way they need to be treated and you provide massive value to folks and you, everything else kind of falls in line and uh i feel blessed to be in the situation that i'm in today yeah no i agree i agree with you about that so chris what have i not asked you that you wish i had <laughs> You told me you were going to ask me this. Uh, I feel like you did a very good job of asking me these questions. Um, I feel like the, the one thing, the, just to say that the last piece of advice that I have for folks listening to your podcast is, you know, we talked about, I think before we got started, the idea of, you know, if you're hiring an investment advisor and you're paying your investment advisory fees and you know, no, no matter the size of your investment portfolio, you should always feel valued from the folks that you're working with. 
right? You should always feel like they're willing to take your phone call. They're willing to schedule a meeting and devote the time it takes for you to feel comfortable and feel like you're being successful with their relationship. Um, too many times, you know, you have a client that's paying 10 or 20 or $30,000 in investment advisory fees. And then I hear things like, yeah, they don't like to talk to me. Or I had one client this past year who said, they, they weren't willing to help me to organize the inheritance I'm going to get from my mother. Oh, so wait, so you're an investment advisor. And this is a large investment advisory right. firm here in Cincinnati. You're going to obtain more additional assets from a client that you're already charging, let's say, let's, let's just say $10,000 a year in fees. You're going to get more money to manage and charge more fees on, but you're not willing to help every aspect of what the client is asking you for. And so in my mind, I wanna provide a relationship that clients understand, I'm here to help you achieve your life goals, I'm here to help you achieve your financial goals, and any complex financial question you have, I should be getting that question and I should feel, or I should be the center person that you come to to answer that. Right. And so for that client, it was easy. Hey, let's sit down and let's organize this. And yeah, did it take five meetings? And did I have to create a custom Excel spreadsheet because yes, her mother was successful and saved a lot and had different pieces of wealth. That's just doing your job. That's providing the value that clients are asking for in the long right. run. So. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that that the people that aren't willing to do that really shouldn't be in this business. My 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 two thoughts on that. <laughs> so so Chris, if if the listeners like what they hear. And they want to reach out to you and talk to you. How can they? How can they get a hold of you? Definitely. Thanks. So I'd recommend clients first go to uh, my website, which is entrypointwm.com. So entrypoint w is in wealth, m is in management.com. Uh, but I'm on you know social media as well, so LinkedIn and, and Facebook and whatnot. Um, and, and it's interesting, I just got my first referral through my website um, just a couple of days ago, <clears throat> you know, and so, you know, most of my referrals or most of my clients have come through, you know, local professional relationships. Right. right? Uh, our CPA and I've got a couple of attorneys that I work with. Um, but, you know, growth is something that comes naturally. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, want to have a conversation. I've always said over the years, I've got time to help anybody out. So wherever you're at in your life cycle and saving and building wealth or operating your business and wanting to understand how can I scroll some money away or manage cash flow or debt, whatever, um, I've always got time for folks that need help. And I talk to anybody in regards to that. Great. We appreciate it. So we really appreciate your time this week um, and, and your wisdom. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. I appreciate the chance to come on your podcast. Great. So this week, our guest was Chris Ward, who's the founder of EntryPoint Wealth Management. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>